0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Islam Radio In the name of Allah the Gracious, the Ever Merciful May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you Today is Monday the 25th of July 2022 The time is 7.03am And you're listening to Daniel Zia Your host uh, from the Breakfast Studios In um, Voice of Islam. As is the norm, we um, talk about uh, and discuss two topics in this show. And those two topics for today are rise in world hunger, the causes and impact of that. And the second topic we shall be discussing um, starting 8.15 AM or so shall be around the inequality in uk's maternity care the first topic we shall start um inshallah god willing around 7 30 a.m so those are the two topics please do join us in this discussion by calling us at 0208 687 7878 you can also tweet us at voice of islam uk right let's start with the um headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning so several of Monday's front pages lead on a report saying NHS and social care services face their worst workforce crisis in history because of chronic staff shortages. The paper says the damning report by MPs warned that patient safety is at severe risk with 12,000 hospital, doctors post, hospital doctor posts and more than 50,000 nurses and midwife jobs unfulfilled uh, in england alone the guardian has the same story saying the report criticizes the absence of a credible government strategy on nhs wide understaffing elsewhere the paper marks six months since the war in ukraine started alongside a photo of a 71 year old ukrainian man leaving his house that was da- damaged by a russian strike also covering the bombshell report the mirror says exhausted nhs staff are quitting in droves. In other news, the ISA's the conservative leadership race has become increasingly bitter as the briefing war ramps up. It says Rishi Sunak's campaign accused rivalless trust of flip flopping on the threat of China, while Team Team Trust claimed Beijing was effectively endorsing Sunak for PM. The Daily Mail covers the same row, saying Mr. Sunak's get-tough stance was called into question by his rival. The former Chancellor says China was the biggest long-term threat to Britain, but allies of Mr. Truss accused him of being soft on the country and pursuing closer trade links, the paper says. The Daily Telegraph believes the briefing war has become increasingly frenetic and negative in recent days and and says Mr. Sunak has accused Mr. Truss of helping to enable Beijing's in infiltration of British universities. The Daily Express says Mr. Trust will travel. Uh, will, will later reveal plans to turbocharge economic growth by building a string of low-tax new towns. The Foreign Secretary envisages, envisages high-tech but low-regulation investment areas where businesses can flourish, the paper reports. The Times says British holidaymakers should prepare to wait for hours in queues at Dover and Folkestone for the rest of the summer, with cross channel infrastructure on a knife edge because of surging demand and more border checks. The Sun has spoken to reality TV star Lauren Guter, who whose newborn baby died earlier this month. She tells the paper she's having a postmortem on her daughter, Lorena, to find out exactly why she died, something she says she needs to do for my own sanity. The Financial Times reports that Beijing is is preparing to sort U.S.-listed Chinese companies into tears based on the sensitivity of the data they hold in a bid to stop American regulators from delisting hundreds of businesses. And finally, HeatWave. After the wave is the headline in the Daily star and its as it says scorched Brits face another four heat waves over the summer as Saharan heat frazzles up from the next weekend. So those are the headlines appearing in the newspapers today. we shall now take a quick break and when we come back we shall continue with the um, with the news that is appearing in uh, various newspapers today. Uh, all the articles that uh, are newsworthy. Um, so we shall be talking about that. And from 7:30 onwards, we shall talk about the first topic, which is about the rise in world hunger, the causes and impact. Please do join us in this discussion by calling us at 02086877878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. We shall be back right after these quick messages. اللهم
0: اشهد ان لا اله الا الله اشهد أن
2: listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. We find anxiety and turmoil
3: continue to spread and increase in the world. We find so much strife, restlessness and disorder. We find countries engaged in wars. Terrorist groups, political parties, major powers of the world, all consumed by their efforts to maintain or acquire supremacy and leave no stone unturned in their efforts towards pursuing their objectives. With all these hostilities engulfing the entire world, we also find a grand solution. We find a serene voice, a voice of reasoning and logic, traveling across the world, forewarning that if these actions continue, then most surely the entire planet will succumb to a detrimental end. With the rapid decline of international relationship, the chances of the entire globe once again engaged in war is increasing daily. This time wars will be fought with such weaponry that
4: will leave widespread
3: devastating effects.
4: If a person is shot by a bullet, then it is sometime possible for him to survive through medical treatment. But if a nuclear war breaks out, then those who are in the firing line will have no such luck. The weapons available today are so destructive that they could lead to generation after generation of children being born with severe genetic or physical defects. Thus, if the major powers do not act with justice and do not eliminate the frustrations of smaller nations and do not adopt great and wise policies, then The situation will spiral out of all control and the destruction that will follow is beyond our comprehension and imagination. Even the majority of the world who does desire peace will also become engulfed by this devastation. This is the
3: dreadful reality, by adopting aggressive policies and utilizing force the world will be compelled to think of radical solutions
4: the most radicalized being war recently a very senior russian military commander issued a serious warning about the potential risks risk of a, a nuclear war it was his view that such a war would not be fought in asia or elsewhere but would be fought on europe's border and that the threat might originate and ignite from Eastern European countries. Though some people will say that this was simply his personal opinion. I myself do not believe these views to be improbable. But in addition, I also believe that if such a war breaks out, then it is highly likely that Asian countries will also become involved.
3: Have these words of the khalifa not been proven to be true to the letter? The crisis between Russia and Ukraine have brought back memories of the Cold War. With nearly 100 member states of the United Nations failing to recognize the control of Crimea by the Russian Federation, is that not a repeat of the past? When the Arab Spring first came to pass, many people in the world considered it to be a great means for the Arab world to come out of the Dark Ages and embrace modern times. The reality was quite the contrary. Is the world going towards this devastation? hundreds of thousands of innocent lives have been lost, especially in the Middle East. How many more will it take for mankind to take note of the Khalifa's message?
4: There's an urgent need to end all kinds of hatred and to lay the foundations of peace. This can only be done by respecting all kinds of sentiments of each other. If this is not done properly, honestly and with virtue, it will escalate into uncontrollable circumstances. So what is our responsibility?
3: Most surely to listen to and spread the words of the Khalifa and put them into practice. Save the world from the pit of doom that it is so closely standing upon.
5: To think that seeking help from God is sometimes without result and wondering that the Rahmaniyat and Rahimiyat, graciousness and mercy of God do not manifest themselves in the shape of help is the result of misunderstanding. God Almighty surely hears the prayers that are offered in sincerity and helps the seekers of help as he considers proper. But sometimes it happens that the prayer and request for help of a person are not inspired by sincerity and lack the humility of the heart and his spiritual condition is not up to the mark, so that while his lips utter the words of supplication, his heart is inattentive or is only making a show. It also happens sometimes that God hears the supplication and bestows whatever he considers proper and most appropriate in his perfect wisdom. But the foolish supplicant does not recognize the hidden favor that God does to him and begins to complain on account of his ignorance and unawareness. He does not appreciate the verse
3: (laughs) That
5: is, it may be that you dislike a thing which is really good for you, and it may also be that you like something but it may be the worse for you. Allah knows the reality of all things and you know not.
1: to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 25th of July, 2022. The time is 7.17am. Welcome back to this live edition of The Breakfast Show from the South London studios of Voice of Islam. We're talking about the headlines appearing in newspapers this morning. And um, uh, one of the headlines that we talked about um, was about... Um, Uh, um, having a stance towards China, um, or or rather um, uh, a tough stance towards China, uh, that has been um, the topic of discussion between uh, both Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, the candidates for prime ministership um, in the UK. So China, according to uh, Mr. Sunak, is the biggest long-term threat to Britain. This, he will say on Monday as he reveals plans to curb the country's soft power by closing all of its 30 Confucius institutes, which promote the teaching of Chinese languages and culture in the UK. He will take on list cross his rival in the conservative leadership race by effectively accusing the foreign secretary and Western leaders of having turned a blind eye to China's nefarious activity and ambitions as he calls them, and calls for a new NATO alliance to set up to counter it. However, the latest front in the battle to replace Boris Johnson immediately saw recriminations from trust supporters, with the former Tory party leader Ian Duncan Smith suggesting the announcement was tantamount to hypocrisy. As in the two years, soon as Chancellor the Treasury pushed hard for for an economic deal with China, Duncan Smith has been on China's sanctions list since last year Imam uh, Shahzeb uh, if I can bring you into into this discussion um, how healthy do you think this discussion is um, you know China being declared the long the biggest long-term threat um, we're trying to uh, to close all of their confucius institutes um I, what sort of uh, what sort of reaction do you think Britain will have if uh, if a country decides to close uh, British Council um, um, institutes in in a particular country?
6: But the reason or the question is as to why why are they closing those institutes? Right, um, and you know it's it is somewhat um, you know questionable as to you know what's bringing about this change um, after you know so many people over there recognising, you know, the the individual of Confucius. Um, So it's, you know, it's strange to say the least. Um, But We've always seen the attitude of China towards, um, dare I say, promoting a, or rather not promoting, sort of a religious, um, cohesive atmosphere. Um, And we've seen how, you know, the the elements of the uh, communist regime didn't really practice um, or have a understanding of a religion whereby you know the understanding was that you know the service or hmm. the, the primary role of the nation was to follow what the you know
1: communist, communist regime wanted and religion took sort of a, a back step. But this amount, Shazeb, is about curtailing what they call their soft power so basically they're saying that it's a china is a is the biggest long-term threat to britain um uh, and they want to curb the soft power by by doing this while at the same time well and and it goes on it says that um western leaders have turned a br- blind eye to china's nefarious activity and ambitions and and then um, What nefarious activities. It, I think it, I think it,
6: the, I think it, what they're referring to is the the Belts and The Road uh, the Belt and yes, Road. The, yeah, the Belt and Road, the initiative, where yeah. they are you know developing various infrastructure projects across Africa and other parts of the developing world. How is it the threat to Britain? A direct threat to I'm not sure to our security. I think I'm not sure that's a question for Britain to answer um, or the government to answer, or the government, government to answer even but I think any sorts of activity whereby uh, indirectly nowadays um, is seen as a threat which is a shame um, I mean only God knows what the intentions of China are you know whereby they are you know financially um, establishing these projects across the developing world, um,
1: but equally, I would argue that what is the purpose of a British Council office in a uh, in another country or um, or an American center in uh, in many of the developing countries? Is it is it not to increase their soft power? Yeah, it soft is not power. to increase yeah. their yeah. influence um, yeah. and and their culture, the Western culture that is. is so, I mean, um, why are we making more enemies? um or, or are we are, are we really creating a mountain out of a molehill here mm. are we really trying to create an enemy out of not an enemy mm. and I is think, it in, is it not dangerous for the world it is dangerous
6: and i think that's the only option we have though where you see a rising power where you see a power which you know the experts the analysts have projected you know said power to you know be the the superpower of the world Hmm. Within you know a set amount of numbers, that automatically starts um, shaking the foundations of the other hmm. nations that have been at the top for so many years. Right, and
1: so it's it's about geopolitics.
6: Then. It's, not it about it's not about nefarious <laughs> designs. It's not about well, I doubt so. I mean, um, f- from the outs, from the outlook, you know, from where we stand, you know, the nefarious activities of China at the end of the year are limited to projecting their uh, culture, mm. their money abroad, and you know, money spent abroad will definitely have an influence on what other people say. Mm. Um, money is power, we all know. So I think that's the the strongest sort of message which you know the West wants to absolutely reject.
1: And 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 those people who th- who say that uh, you know China also regularly hacks into mm. uh, Western infrastructure. Let me remind them that uh, uh, only a few years ago. I think less than uh, four or five years ago, it was announced to the world uh, that um, uh, uh, no other than CIA was actually bugging uh, Angela Merkel, Merkel's phone, the German, mm. the German Tr- Chancellor. Yeah. So um, the ex German Chancellor, exactly. So, so I I think these things go both ways, and and I mm-hmm. think you put it absolutely. I think you summed it, This is about geopolitics. Yeah, I think over here we hear
6: about how China and. Some other countries in the East are threatened, most probably where they're sitting in the East, they're probably hearing the same about the West. Mm. I think it just depends where you are um, and what sort of um, you know, side of the story you're on.
1: Exactly. And, um, uh, you know, it, it just reminds me of uh, what His Holiness, Hazrat uh, Mahdzu Masood, the fifth head of the, fifth and the current head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, has been saying for the last couple of decades that this trend is very dangerous. You know, mm, you, you, you're creating, yeah. you you're cre- just creating division, schism and more enemies in the world and that's not going to help towards the cause of um, uh, towards global peace. It's true and it, it's a shame that it's
6: been like this you know, since time immemorial really, where it's always been the East versus the West. Mm. Um, if it's healthy, it's all well and good, but um, where well, you can see articles where you know it can, it can have an influence on your opinion, where you're swayed towards one side of the story and a lot of the time the youngsters will grow up with this mentality and it's Mm -hmm. it's the case now that we see that you know some countries in the east are seen as you know enemies
0: really yeah
1: yeah so and then yeah we're bringing up a whole new generation with tainted minds and Mm. uh uh, yeah. and And bent attitudes, whereas all what we really need is is cohesion, cohesion and cohesion uh, over minus, but I think the, the beauty of the internet is that nothing remains hidden,
6: so these mm. stories they you know they're out there, but there's other stories you know which project you know
1: the other side of the the story, yeah um which would give us sort of an equal balance absolutely so yeah uh, so I would urge our listeners to search those stories and mm. not just go by the headlines bearing mm. in. In some of that, uh, of these uh, newspapers. and it some sort of
6: raises the question of just very quickly human rights, you know, there's so many human rights which are um neglected and you know, people are abused in China. I mean, just the other day, I was reading a, um, an article about this, um, I think it was a Chinese, correct me if I'm wrong, oh. influencer, um, who was married but her mm-hmm. husband was against her sort of, um you know, attitude, the whole thing about the, the sort of um, social media platform. Hmm. And, you know, he he was a domestic, she, she faced a lot of domestic abuse. And it it came to the point that she was, you know, live on one of these platforms. And he set her alight, quite literally. Hmm. The Chinese government, um, you know, has now, through the courts, stated that he will be executed. But these, these issues are everywhere, you know. Um, it's not just I mean, it's, to China.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's just what you choose to highlight. Uh, okay, yeah. uh, why are we not talking about uh, human rights abuses in Myanmar? Mm. Because obviously Myanmar is no threat to the economic, oh, economy, yeah. um, um, uh, no geopolitical uh, mm. threat to to U.S. or um, or Britain? Why are we not talking about other human rights abuses? And there are so many. There uh, there's human rights abuses in Kashmir. There are human rights mm-hmm. abuses in in Palestine. There are human rights abuses, uh, you know, uh, so many in so many other places. So you know, we choose to focus um, uh, on um, uh, on China, which uh, which. Um, uh, you know, which which is a dangerous trend. Is is the point that I'm trying to make? Is is not going to help mm-hmm. with uh, global peace and stability. It's only going to make uh, make matters worse. Right on that note, um, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will delve right into the first topic, which is about um, uh, a discussion that I think. Uh, we we need to we need to really have which is about the rise in world hunger. What are the causes and what's the impact of that? So um, a lot of discussion on that. And do join us on that discussion by calling us at zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight.
2: You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
7: There is an account narrated about Syed Abdul Qadir Jalani, may Allah have mercy on him, that when he set out away from home for the purpose of his education, his noble mother sewed his share of 80 coins into the underarm of his shirt and advised him, Son, do not lie. When Syed Abdul Qadr departed, on the first day of his journey, he passed through a jungle that was inhabited by a large band of thieves and robbers. A party of robbers confronted and apprehended him. The robbers asked, what have you got in your possession? Syed Abdul Qadr thought to himself that he was being tested in the first stage of his journey. He reflected over his mother's advice and said, I have 80 coins which my noble mother has sewn into the underarm of my shirt. The robbers were extremely surprised on hearing this and said, What is this dervish saying? We have never seen such a righteous man. They took him and putting him before their chief related the entire story. When the chief questioned him, Syed Abdul Qadir Jalani gave the same response. Finally, when his shirt was torn at the place that he had described, it turned out that there were indeed 80 coins sewn into his shirt. All the robbers were astonished and the chief asked why Syed Abdul Qadir Jalani, had told them the truth. At this, Syed Abdul Qadir Jalani mentioned the advice that his mother had given him before he departed. He said, I have set out as a student of religion. If I had told a lie at the very first stage of my journey, what could I expect to attain? And so, I chose to stand by the truth. When Sayyid Abdul Qadir had said these words, the chief burst into tears, fell at his feet, and repented for his sins. It is said that this chief was the first follower of Sayyid Abdul Qadir Jalani. In short, truth is a thing that delivers a person in even the most trying and difficult of times. Saadi is true when he says, Never have I seen go astray the one who treads the right path. Therefore. The more a person adopts the truth and develops a love for the truth, the deeper a love and understanding they develop for the Word of God and also for His Prophets, because they are an example and source for all those who are truthful. This principle is also prevalent in the following instruction, be with the truthful.
2: You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet twenty-four hours a day.
6: Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you and welcome back to the breakfast show here at the Voice of Islam. And so just before the break we were talking about what's been happening in the news and what the papers have uh, been disgusting now it's uh, time that we move towards our first segment which will be about the rise in world hunger and the causes and the impact that it's having and so i'm sure everybody's aware that the war in ukraine has threatened to unleash unprecedented wave of global hunger and destitution. And the number of people going hungry in the world has risen by 150 million since the start of the COVID pandemic the un has said it's warning us that the food crisis sparked by Russia's invasion of Ukraine risks pushing the worst-hit countries into famine. Globally, the number suffering from chronic undernourishment rose to as many as 828 million last year, a rise of about 46 million on the previous year, and three times that increase if measured since the world shut down due to COVID, a report has found. and With the price of fuel, Food staples and fertiliser soaring since the invasion of Ukraine. The total is expected to rise even further in the next year, a scenario that could see some of the world's poorest fall into famine, the most extreme form of food deprivation. An estimated 1.6 billion people in 94 countries are exposed to at least one dimension of the crisis. About 1.2 billion of them live in a perfect storm in countries which are severely vulnerable to all three dimensions, i.e. food, energy and finance of the cost of living crisis according to the latest findings of the UN Secretary-General's Global Crisis Response Group on Food, Energy and Finance systems. So what we find really is that it's somewhat unfathomable that one war in one part of the country has such a knock-on effect on various other countries. but there is some good news, you know. I think just yesterday or uh, two days ago, there was a um, a deal which has now been made with um, Russia and Ukraine with the um, uh, transitioning or sort of the hmm. middleman being Turkey, where they've made a, a huge deal of grain exports. So that is some good news. But the country's ability, in general the various countries ability to deal with adversity in the face of rising global challenges it continues to erode and to address the crisis strong political will across the multilateral community and a comprehensive approach is foremost necessary the vicious circles and indeed cycles the crisis creates, shows that no one dimension of the crisis can be fixed in isolation and Tackling just one aspect will not solve the global crisis we are in, says Rebecca Greenspan, the Secretary-General of the UN Conference on Trade and Development.
1: Right. Uh, let's, go. Uh, let's go now to our first guest, uh, Kate Monroe from Action Against uh, Hunger. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, Kate, let me uh, start uh, by asking you um, rather early in the morning um, uh, and a rather loaded question. Um, how, um, what is the role, do you think, of um, uh, MNCs like Cargill and, and their right to dump food? What role has that played in, um, in creating um, hunger around the world and, and where we find ourselves today?
8: Well, I can't comment specifically on cargo because we don't, at Action Against Hunger, we're a humanitarian NGO, um, working in the culture within... We, um, it, what we have seen is towards escalating um, globally
1: sorry Kate we we're not able to hear you properly um, I think the line is, uh, is 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 probably not good let, let us uh, try and reconnect uh, uh, with you Kate uh, and probably uh, see if the connection is uh, is better um, right so um, <clears throat> we'll ask this question again uh, to Kate when uh, when <clears throat> she comes back but um, yeah um, Africa is a, is a major Global hunger hotspot and has been for uh, for decades, mm. and um, uh, unfortunately, as a result of uh, the current Ukrainian crisis, uh, we 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 think that uh, that is only going to exacerbate so this year's food crisis. Uh, a lot of people are saying, is about lack of access. Next year's could be about lack of food. This, according to UN Secretary General, we need to bring stability to global food and energy markets to break the vicious cycle of rising prices and bring relief to developing countries. Ukraine's food production and the food and fertilizer produced by Russia must be brought back into world markets. Yes, exactly. And they're saying that an estimated
6: 45 million youngsters beneath five. Have been affected by losing the uh, deadliest type of malnutrition, uh, which will only increase, and you know the youngsters' threat of a loss or life by as much as 12 occasions. About 149 million youngsters beneath five had stunted growth and development on account of a power lack of important vitamins. And now, d- despite the widespread impact of the crisis, not all regions and subregions are exposed in the same way and it's stressing the fact that some countries and communities are more vulnerable than others and need assistance urgently. For example, the countries in the sub-Saharan Africa um, remain significantly vulnerable, with one out of every two Africans in the region exposed to all three dimensions of the crisis. The Latin American and the Caribbean region is the second largest group facing the cost of the living crisis, with nearly 20 countries deeply affected. The report continues and says that extreme poverty could threaten the lives and livelihoods of 2.8 million people in the Middle East and North Africa. And in South Asia, which is currently experiencing crippling levels of heat waves, 500 million people are severely exposed to the food and finance crisis. Countries in Eastern Europe and Central Asia are severely exposed to the energy and finance dimensions given the importance of remittance and energy exports from Russia. And today, about sixty percent of the world's workforce is estimated to have lower incomes than before the pandemic. And more than half of the world's poorest countries are in debt, distress, or at higher risk of it. You know, a prime example of this being Sri Lanka, whereby they've defaulted on their loans. And according to your reports the increase in hunger since the start of the war could be higher and more widespread world food program estimates show that the number of severely food insecure people doubled from 135 million pre-pandemic to 276 million over just two years these numbers are you know unfathomable really it's it's just mind-boggling the ripple effects of the war in ukraine are expected to drive this number up to 323 million in 2022. And there is urgent need for stability in the global food and energy markets to break this vicious circle of rising prices and the imperative to bring relief to developing countries. And so it's calling on resources to be made available immediately to help the poorest countries and communities. You know, it has been a you know, struggle for all, really, even, even you know, over here in, in the United Kingdom, so many companies and firms, uh, employees of such companies have gone on a strike because of, you know, the rise in the living um, uh, conditions that it is, you know, the fact that the energy prices here have soared, you know, the cost of living in general, it's um, unprecedented. And so we're finding these strikes, we're finding deals being made, you know, uh, employers accepting Increases in pay. I think the other day, British has accepted eight percent, or rather, um, allowed for eight percent increase in their um, employees' pay. So, you know, these are changes that we are finding slowly but steadily.
1: Excellent. Uh, Yeah, let's uh, uh, try one more time. um, If we're able to bring back um, Kate Monroe, aslam alaykum, Kate, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you now. Excellent. And I think uh, we can hear you better as well. Sorry about uh, the bad connection there. Right. So, um, yeah. So I was asking you about um, the role that, uh, you know, MNCs generally, um, uh, Cargill just being one of them, uh, and their right to dump food uh, in the ocean. That has played um, uh, in, in terms of worsening the hunger crisis around the world.
8: Yeah I mean I guess what the recent um escalations in global food prices have revealed is how much some of the most um food insecure regions of the world and um, places like the horn of Africa parts of the middle east like yemen are um highly dependent on imported food mm. um and so that means that regions which once could have um survived uh on their own domestic food production are now um, very vulnerable to volatility and global food prices and in many western countries we we feel the impacts of that here acutely um, uh, with rising rates of food poverty but that's nothing as compared to countries where you've got um, really dire poverty um, and um, in many pockets of famine like conditions so um, the um, uh, it, for, for Action Against Hunger, it's a reason why we are um, a, a particular focus of ours is working with communities to support local food production hmm. um, and agroecological farming methods to just uh, help people um, improve their own local food security. So which
1: regions of the world are you really active in?
8: so um actually Against hunger works in 50 countries um mm-hmm. or over 50 countries um in uh, particularly prioritizing those countries which have the highest rates of um acute hunger so um those are often sadly conflict affected countries um across uh, the middle east um east africa west and central africa also in latin america and asia um, so, yeah, we're very widely active. We've also recently in a very entirely different kind of condition started working more in some of the European countries where we're based, so including in the UK. But um, that's uh, quite a quite different model of programming.
6: And Kate, how has the COVID-19 pandemic worsened the global hunger crisis?
8: Well, I think that over the last few years, we've we've seen since the war in Ukraine started, a real focus on the impact that that's had on um, driving up global food prices, but that trend in rising food prices has been going on for several years, and that was already exacerbated by the way that the COVID-19 pandemic really disrupted um, international supply chains. Um, So that's actually one of the biggest impacts that COVID-19 had, has been more of an indirect one on driving up food prices. but then, on top of that, um, as as a malnutrition-focused or organization, we're acutely aware of just how much the impact of COVID-19 as a disease um, itself has on, differentially on people according to how good their nutrition is and how vital nutrition is for supporting a healthy immune system. So um, So yes, people with uh, weakened immune systems have, have clearly been far more um, vulnerable to the extreme impacts of the disease.
1: So, uh, Kate, what is uh, Action Against Hunger's modus operandi uh, in these 50 countries? How do you help
4: and support local communities?
8: Well, it really varies by country, so it has to be very context-specific because in a country, if you're working in a region that's conflict-affected, where you're doing emergency humanitarian programming, that's very different to more of a development context where you might be working with local authorities to strengthen health systems. But our focus of our programmes is around um, ensuring that children who have acute malnutrition, which can be life-threatening, have access to treatment, and we provide that treatment directly. Um, We also um, provide a lot of support with um, building water and sanitation services and ensuring people have access to clean water, because it's actually waterborne disease, which is one of the the biggest killers of um, young children. Um, And we also uh, provide people with um, cash so that they can, families with cash so that they can provide their families with access to food and nutrition. And um, we um, work often in partnership with local organizations that are there already um, and know the communities well. So we'll provide um, both direct support but also um, capacity building um, to local organizations.
1: Right. So there obviously isn't um, a single solution. There is no magic wand to eradicate world hunger. What would be the one or two most important things that... Uh, you can leave us with our audience uh, uh, to um, in terms of combating uh, this this crisis this global crisis uh,
8: well I think the there's both the immediate urgent needs and then there's the long addressing the Mm. kind of long-term drivers of this trend so um, in the immediate term we've got um, a very severe hunger crisis um, emerging right now in the horn of africa because there's been four failed rains which is unprecedented it's the worst drought in at least 40 years Um, and um, that means there's an urgent need for immediate anticipatory uh, response, but also humanitarian response um, to, uh, to to meet needs there right now. And that's a funding issue um, because the international community hasn't really stepped up and provided the urgent funding that's desperately needed. Then there's also long-term um, factors of why are, is hunger on the rise globally. And that comes down to several factors, but in particular, climate change has driven the drought going on in East Africa right now, Conflict is a big factor, so on the climate change front we really need to see um, Much uh, greater prioritization from governments and communities worldwide to really sort of driving down emissions urgently and not letting the world exceed the agreed Paris target of 1.5 degrees in global warming because beyond that threshold is um, the impacts are set to escalate steeply
1: Right and uh, what would you suggest? um, Uh, in terms of anybody listening to you, uh, how can they support the work that you do?
8: Well, several ways. I mean it's really important to get this up the political agenda, so writing to your MP is really valuable. Learning about the subject and talking about it with your friends. Uh, Donating to Action Against Hunger if you can via our website. Hmm. Um, I think um, engagement, It's, it's a topic that amongst so many issues in the news right now is um, gets limited attention. So the more kind of um, effort that individuals can put into campaigning and, and fundraising, uh, the, the better.
1: Excellent. Kate Munro, um, Head of Advocacy um, at Action Against Hunger, thank you so very much for joining us.
8: Yeah, thanks very much.
1: Pleasure. So that was um, Kate Munro, uh, who is the Head of uh, Advocacy at Action Against Hunger, talking to us about uh, about the, uh, the global challenges uh, around uh, eradicating hunger and... Um, And and feeding people around the world, right? Um, And and on on that note, let's take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we will continue this discussion on um, uh, on causes and um, and solutions for uh, the problem of global hunger.
2: You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. A new station, The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with The Voice of Islam.
1: Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 25th of July, 2022. And this morning we're talking about the rise in world hunger, the causes and impact of that. And to talk more about this very important topic, we're talking. We are now joined by Sally um, Tilsley, who is the Senior Policy Officer for Concern Worldwide. Assalamu alaikum. Peace with you. Thank you for joining us.
9: Thanks so much for having me on today.
1: Excellent. Sally, so um, tell us about uh, a little bit about Concern Worldwide. Um, what do you do um, and how do you support um, uh, people who are hungry around the world?
9: Sure. Um, so Concern Worldwide is a non-governmental international humanitarian organization dedicated to reducing suffering and working towards the, the ultimate goal of ending extreme poverty in the world's poorest countries. We work in 24 countries and with around 36 million people each year in some of the most fragile places, places where there's conflict, disasters and extreme hunger. Our vision, mission, work are all defined by that one goal of ending extreme poverty, whatever it takes. And our teams in the countries that we operate in are are working together with the people living in those most difficult situations to help them build and transform their lives, livelihoods, and communities.
6: And Sadi, so, how are you working towards your goal of ending extreme poverty?
9: So we do this through providing emergency response in times of humanitarian crises, long-term programming, and also advocacy for the right kinds of policy, investments, and actions that will lead to impact, positive impacts in the lives of people that we work with. Um. About half of concerns resources are devoted to that emergency work. Um, So that sort of work covers crises like floods, earthquakes, droughts, as well as conflict. Um, And the most visible part of our work is really through emergency response. Most recently, we've been responding to the crisis in Ukraine, as well as tackling the East Africa hunger crisis, where millions of people are currently facing starvation. And then the other side of our work is... It's longer-term development work, essentially working with communities to address those underlying drivers of poverty, and to build people's ability to cope with shocks and stresses, and and break that cycle of humanitarian crises. Um, so these programmes are focused on things like health and nutrition, livelihoods, education, access to water, sanitation and hygiene. And Concern spends about half its money on on that work that helps people to to earn more so that they can obtain the resources they need to assert their human rights to food, shelter, health and education.
6: And so can you tell us about your community management of acute malnutrition approach?
9: Of course. So um, the central principle of the community management of acute malnutrition approach, what we call CMAM,
0: hmm. um,
9: is to treat mal- malnourished children in their homes. Um, so as a result, it reaches... More children and reduces the risks and expenses and travel for carers for our children and their siblings. Uh, so children who have been admitted to our program are provided with weekly medical treatment and given one week supply of therapeutic food. And this micronutrient enriched food is the key to success. Um, so for around 20 years, this theme approach to tackling acute malnutrition has been really effective. Um, so much so that it's become the preferred approach for tackling malnutrition internationally. Um, and we also implement now a seasonal surge approach, which is is based on the observation that in in many contexts the number of children that seek treatment for acute malnutrition peaks during certain months of the year. Um, so these seasonal surges in demand are driven by many different overlapping factors, including, for example, the pre-harvest Hunger gaps or increased incidence of malaria or diarrhea during the rainy season, and um, concerned about this season surge approach to help health facilities to anticipate and then respond to increased demands in acute malnutrition treatment services that occur because of these seasonal and, and predictable shocks.
6: And is the zero hunger goal possible? And if so, how can we? You know, also try and help to achieve that.
9: So, um, when we look at where we are now, um, one in three people around the world are malnourished, which contributes to almost half of all child deaths. We're facing unprecedented levels of acute food insecurity and malnutrition. Um, so, this year's global report on food crisis found that in 2021. Close to 193 million people were acutely food insecure and in need of urgent assistance. And this year, the situation is expected to deteriorate further because of the catastrophic effects of the current crisis, the drought across East Africa, the conflict in Ukraine. And to put these big numbers in context, when looking at the global report on food crisis has been produced, every year for the last six years. When you compare the countries that were consistently in food crisis and all of those exhibitions, um, the number of people that were facing food insecurity has doubled from when that report was first out in 2016 to last year. So this is a bleak picture on its own, but hunger and malnutrition are also drivers of extreme poverty and hold people and nations back by perpetuating vulnerability, poor health, lowers productivity, and it also weakens resilience to shocks and crises. So we've got a long way to go, but what's important is that we do know what we need to do, and as concern, we've seen just how much good nutrition can transform lives and boost the health and earnings of both individuals and nations. Um, we think our goal of ending extreme poverty Realizing zero hunger can only be achieved by tackling poverty root causes, um, and top among them are poor public health and nutritional deficiencies. And um, unfortunately, despite its role in building a strong foundation for individuals and nations to survive and thrive, nutrition remains really underfunded as a global issue. So we're calling on donors and governments of countries with high rates of malnutrition to allocate more resources. On this challenge, to really prioritize it. Um, and although the challenge is huge, what we saw from the global response to COVID 19 is that we can act collectively at scale when the will is there.
0: Mm.
9: So, what we need to do now is really push for the political will to address global hunger. And we can all play a role in that, making it clear to decision makers that, that this matters and we expect them to act. Okay.
1: Sally, you've, about, uh, you've talked about you've um, talked about you know looking at the the root causes. So uh, it, this particular crisis, the Ukrainian crisis, which has obviously exacerbated everything, uh, no denying that, is only six months old. Global hunger is a decades-old problem. Um, what are the real root causes here, and what can then we all collectively do um, to actually solve? Those problems. I think that that's the bigger question here. Um, uh, so let me give you a couple of minutes to to sort of think about that uh, that big question. We are coming to our uh, eight o'clock break, so uh, and the news break. So if um, I could just request you to stay online, and um, we'll um, we'll bring you back and give you an opportunity to answer that question right after the news break, if that's all right. Okay. Right. Excellent. So we're talking to um, Sally Tilsley, who is the Senior Policy Officer for Concern Worldwide. And we're talking about uh, the work that uh, the great work that uh, Concern Worldwide does um, um, and uh, uh, the great work that they are actually doing to towards the, their stated goal of uh, eradicating global hunger. Right. We are coming to the um, to the eight o'clock news break. Um, and after we come back from this uh, news break, we will continue talking to
2: you're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB via the internet 24 hours a day. A new station, the Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the Voice of Islam.
10: From the Sky News Centre at 8, MPs have warned the greatest workforce crisis in NHS history is putting patients and staff in England at serious risk. A report shows the health service is short of 62,000 doctors, midwives and nurses. Professor Neil Mortensen is the president of the Royal College of Surgeons.
3: If you don't have enough staff, everybody else has to work harder to fill the
4: gaps. And this constant process of coping with Omicron and coping with those uh, staff vacancies makes life extremely difficult indeed.
10: The government says it's recruiting thousands of workers. Drivers are being told to expect queues around the Eurotunnel in Folkestone this morning after huge queues in Kent at the weekend. Officials say cross-channel traffic levels in Dover have returned to normal. Meanwhile, disabled drivers are being warned about using their blue badges abroad. The UK-issued parking passes were recognised across the EU, but 11 countries are still undecided about whether to continue doing so after Brexit. Jack Cousins from the AA calls the situation unacceptable.
3: If you're travelling to one of these nations and you've got a blue badge, what we're advising people to do, where they possibly can do, is use drop-off and collection pickups in car parks and then park the car in a bay that isn't a disabled allocated one.
10: We're being told not to cool off from the heat in dangerous open water following an increase in the number of people drowning. There have been at least 1,100 incidents so far this year. Aldi is awarding its UK store staff a second pay rise this year. From September, they'll get at least £10.50 an hour. And it's thought almost half of women haven't done any vigorous exercise in the past year. A survey has found most lacked motivation and got out of the habit during lockdown. That's the latest. I'm Kat Suave.
2: You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the
1: internet 24 hours a day. Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be with you. Welcome back to this live edition of the breakfast show from South London Studios of Voice of Islam. We are talking this morning about the rise in world hunger. What are the causes? Uh, What's the impact? What are the solutions? And before we went on the news break, we were talking to Sally Tilsley, who is the Senior Policy Officer for Concern Worldwide. And uh, we asked her, uh, what are the real root causes of the problem? Unless we understand the root causes uh, of of hunger, which is a decades-old problem, we won't be able to... uh, to solve the problem, so Sally, if you're still with you, um, what do you think are the uh, what do you think are the actual real causes which which are which have been causing uh, uh, the the food shortages around the world, the hunger around the world for decades?
9: Thanks for having me back. Um, so I think over the last few decades, we were making progress around. Um, around cating hunger, lowering levels. Um, but that was until a, a few years ago, um, 2016. Um, and then we started to see a change in the direction. And what reports of analysis has, has indicated is that that is being driven by a mixture of, of climate change and conflict of economic insecurity. Mm. So the trend has been reversing. We've seen rising hunger levels globally for the last few years because of these two things. The last two years, we've seen, we've had layered on top of that, uh, the impacts of COVID-19 and lockdowns around the world. And now, layered on top of that, we're seeing the impacts of um, the war in Ukraine, which um, provides a lot of the world's food but also energy um, so it's a, a, a real mixture of different causes all mm-hmm. kind of uh, sort of a perfect storm really um, and what a concern we focus on really is is trying to address those kind of I guess underlying causes around um, health building nutrition and um, addressing um, good hygiene and safe water. Um, And then we also work with communities to try to build their resilience to shocks and stresses like drought um, through livelihoods focused programs. Um, And we've seen that through those programs um, people can build more secure livelihoods Mm -hmm. and sort of forge a path out of of poverty um, and improve their, their own lives. Um, so I think that's really what is required to, to address the, the, the trend in rising global hunger, really investing in tapping these different underlying drivers within communities that are most affected. Um, at the kind of global level, obviously we know that climate change is one of the key drivers, hmm. so I think trying to minimise our impact on the environment and uh, minimise the amount of climate change that we are committed to uh, will be really crucial in in making sure that the communities that are most vulnerable to the impacts are able to uh, to cope and lift themselves out of poverty despite these rising challenges.
1: Salid, your expert opinion: What role has um, civil wars and wars in Africa over the past few decades played in in the problem of? Um, hunger and uh, and poverty there
9: i mean i think that the civil society voice in in africa and other countries has been really crucial in terms of um you know both sort of mobilizing action but also you know working closely with um communities and people who are most vulnerable to who are experiencing extreme poverty. I mean, um,
1: civil wars in, 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 in Africa, you know, over the past few decades, uh, countries like Ethiopia and and other countries uh, as well.
9: Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, so, I mean, conflict is definitely one of the, the hmm. key drivers of, of hunger um, globally. And obviously, it can have a huge impact on people's ability to, to access and afford um the food and their sort of ability to to really invest in their own livelihoods. So it can have a really huge impact on, on people's abilities to to kind of raise themselves out of poverty. And I think in terms of the trends and where we're seeing the concentration of people living in extreme poverty, um, it is increasingly in, in places that are experiencing conflict, in fact having conflict affected context.
1: Would you say, Sally, that we're winning this war against hunger?
9: I, I think the trends at the moment are, are not going in the right direction. Mm. Um, but I try to be positive And I think that if we can, you know, I think the, the issue is at such a scale now that we really need to look at how urgent the action needs to be. And I think that it is possible to reverse the trends that we're currently seeing and and address those kind of root causes of, of poverty. Sure.
1: Right. Well, Sally, thank you very, very much for joining us. And thank you for, ask, for answering all our challenges. This is a challenging topic. <laughs> um, so really uh, appreciate um, you answering all the challenging questions so early in the morning. So thank you very much for joining <laughs> no us. No
9: problem. Thank
1: you so much for having me and have a
9: great
1: day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. So, that was Sally Tilsby, who is the Senior Policy Officer of Concern Worldwide, talking to us about um, about their role, Concern Worldwide uh, role in, in tackling hunger, as well as um, her thoughts on what are the actual problems and, uh, and root causes of uh, global hunger. Right. Um, uh, so, to sort of round off um, uh, this topic, uh, Imam Shahzeb, uh, let's talk about a little bit about um, what um, what is the Islamic perspective around um, around this uh, this all important topic of of hunger, which you know lies at uh, at the very root of of everything of uh, of most problems, I should say that um, uh, that we see around the world today. Yeah, you know, you're, you're bang on there because it's,
6: you know, when we're hungry, do we, you know, some cases turn towards crime, you know, where you know, one's hand is forced. You know, there is no alternative in some parts of the country. Mm. There isn't a welfare society. So, you know, Islam has always been um, at the forefront in making sure that those people that are, you know, unfortunately oppressed um, and you know haven't got the means to provide for themselves uh are given the support and sucker that they rightly so deserve now we find in chapter 90 verses 15 and 17 where muslims are instructed to feed the hungry to show empathy and love to orphans and to help anyone in need especially those you know who are um, in poverty and, and indeed who, those who are defence defense and then weak as so muslims are taught to be you know the ones who comfort and love those um, who have been failed by society. And similarly, we find in chapter 2, verse 196, the Holy Quran states that if a person wishes to save themselves from humiliation, degradation, and ruin, you know, they must be kind, generous, and do good to others, with, without exception, expectation rather, of anything else in return. And there's so many verses that we find you know, within the Holy Quran that show us how to support those people that are um, unfortunately um, in a situation where you know, we wouldn't want them to be, and uh, there's also a narration, um, a hadith of the Holy Prophet the peace be upon him, in which um, we find um, how you know his character was when it came to supporting those people that um, you know required help, and it stated that the companion um the may Allah be pleased with him, reported that the Messenger of Allah said. And Allah will say on the day of judgment, O son of Adam, I was sick but you did not visit me. Yeah. And he responded by saying, My Lord, how could I visit you when you are the Lord of the worlds? And Allah will say that did you not know that one of my servants was sick and you didn't visit him? If you had visited him, you would have known and found me there. Then Allah will say, Son of Adam, I needed food but you did not feed me, my lord and he responded and said, My Lord, how could I feed you when you are the Lord of the worlds? To which Allah would respond and say, Did you not know that one of my servants was hungry, but you did not feed him? And so if you had fed him, you would have found its reward with me. And so you know, Allah would say that, O oh, son of Adam, I was thirsty, but you do not give me something to drink. To which we would respond and say, Then my lord, how could I give a drink when you are the Lord of the world? To which Allah responded, Then so did you not know that one of my servants was thirsty, but you did not give him a drink? And if you had given him a drink, you would have found It's a reward with me. And so what we find here is the incentive to go out of our way and support all of those people that require uh, assistance when it comes to, um, you know, absolutely eradicating um, hunger, or world hunger in this case. And, you know, in um, the Friday Sermon, His Holiness, the fifth current head of the MD Muslim community state that the rich and the poor coexist and the needy and those who provide for them live side by side but there are people who due to their goodness and self indulgence abstain from spending their wealth in the way of religion nor do they fulfill the needs of the poor to the point that they become entirely oblivious to the rights of others and you know it's true we'll find you know people that are in you know um, position of affluence and you know, in some cases, we find that the, the extreme neighbours, um, you know, to the right and the left, will be of a situation which you know will be on the contrary to that of the neighbour. So it's very much important that we remember the rights of our neighbours, making sure that you know the settlement of hunger is addressed, and uh, if anything, it's a duty of us as Muslims to make sure that it's you know
1: eradicated. Right. Absolutely. Um- And finally, let's uh, go to uh, Mr. Arif Ahmed, who is a representative and volunteer from Humanity First UK. as alaikum. peace be with you. Thank you for joining us.
11: Thank you for having me on the
1: program. Um, So, Mr. (laughs) Ahmed, uh, can you start by introducing Humanity First uh, to our listeners?
11: Yes, of course. So, Humanity First is an international charity. It has operations in many, many countries throughout the world, including the UK. Uh, and the main purpose is to alleviate poverty and train others uh, and so there's a number of projects ranging from operations training individuals as well as the basic uh, poverty relief uh, and food banks as well um, and this is expanding all the time uh, and we have um, thousands of volunteers throughout the world that are helping us in these operations.
1: So you mentioned food banks, so how have food banks actually been impacted by the pandemic?
11: Um, Well, food banks uh, were here before the pandemic, and they have been here for many years. Mm -hmm. But Humanity First set up a food bank during the pandemic, because obviously was when many people were at home, many vulnerable people were at home, and they were very worried about how they were going to get food, Um, although there were some government support schemes um, it took some time for those to kick in. So the um, impact was is that we needed to set up a food bank very quick, and we had a lot of people using those uh, that food bank. We have two food banks in the UK: one in Murfield in West Yorkshire, uh, and one in Walsall uh, in the Midlands. And these have both been very busy during the pandemic, and also after the pandemic because of the cost of living increase and their prices.
1: Right. So. World hunger is a is a huge problem, and there is obviously no single solution, no magic wand to eradicate it. What, in your opinion, needs to be done?
11: I think there's so much to be done, but let me give you two examples. Uh, I think which are very relevant. Right. So um, a few days ago, we saw that despite Ukraine and Russia um, are a war, they did actually sign an agreement mm. to um, facilitate the transport of grain. And that grain is going to Africa, uh, to Asia. So it means cooperation is very, very important between countries. If if two countries which are at war can sign an agreement, then there's no reason why other countries uh, around the world can't work together, help each other. And if one country has excess of grain or excess of food, it's only right and appropriate to share that. The second issue is, is that many countries are holding on to resources. And I suppose in basic terms, they are very greedy. Um, I remember a quote when I was at school, this was um, I think from Mahatma Gandhi, that the world does have enough for every man's need, but not for every man's greed. Mm. And I think what that means is is that there is enough um, to feed the world. Uh, The resources are there, but only if people and governments are not greedy, Mm. only if people are prepared to share. And I think this builds on what you were just saying about if your neighbor is hungry, then definitely um, within the Islamic tradition, you shouldn't feel comfortable about that. You should feel very worried and perturbed that my neighbour is going hungry and yet I have plenty of food. So there are many solutions, but I think um, not being greedy and I think cooperating with each other will definitely help.
1: And finally, Mr. Ahmed, as an Islamic charity organisation, uh, Humanity First, um, does do a lot of work in, in, in many countries around the world, especially in Africa. Would you say... Um, serving humanity is is an essential part of of your faith in Islam? Uh,
11: Very much so. I I think as Muslims, um, we have to fulfill our rights towards our creator, towards God. Um, And equally as important is we have to fulfill our rights to our fellow human beings. Um, And so I think that this is a natural part of our religion. Everybody has to do this in the way in which they feel best. Um, but yes, I think it's uh, it's very important that if we are, uh, if we claim to be Muslims, then we do have to serve uh, humanity. I would just say though that although Humanity First is based on um, Islamic principles, we do work with many non-Muslims. We have volunteers. Humanity First does not discriminate. It will help um, anyone of any faith or no particular faith anywhere around the world. But those Muslims who are working with uh, Humanity First uh, the vast majority of whom uh, are unpaid volunteers, I believe, are doing it because it's part of their faith.
1: Right. Uh, Mr. Emma, thank you very much for joining us um, and talking to us about the excellent work that um, Humanity First and uh, your colleagues and partners do in Humanity First. Thank you thank you very much so that was uh, mr arif ahmed who is both a um, volunteer and um, uh, and uh, somebody who works in uh, in humanity first uh, right let's um, uh, uh, now uh, go to the second topic which is about uh, inequality in uk's maternity care but uh, maternity care but before we do that uh, we will take a quick break and Lots uh, of discussion to come on on the equality inequality, I should say, in UK's maternity care. Please do join us in this discussion by calling us at zero two zero eight six eight seven
0: seven eight seven eight. اشهد <تصفيق> ان
2: to the voice of Islam radio
0: Walillahil asmaul husna
12: flaws, a blessed being in whom all blessings are amassed. Santification of such a being is to declare him pure and flawless. O is the composite of all purity, not merely free from flaws, but also comprising of all excellences, which are known and unknown to human perception. Allah is Kudus and His nearness cannot be availed unless one is pure. There are pure people who extol Allah's holiness much more than the angels do and they also spread it in the world. Among them of course the most excellent is the holy prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The human adaptation and indeed beneficence of Quddus was at its most and best in the being of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He admonished his followers to also seek this beneficence and through its blessings remove any bias they may harbor. It is said that when the divine commandment for the forbiddance of alcohol was made public. Pots full of alcohol were immediately broken and liquor flowed through the streets of Medina. This revolutionary change was brought about through the Prophet's power of holiness. Famished, stricken with hunger and poverty, it was indeed the Prophet's power of holiness that brought about the blessings in the lives of the companions. The promised Messiah on whom be peace depicts the transformation of the quality of the Prophet's holiness brought about in Arabia. This Prophet was created from the light of Allah, who spread his fragrance to take Allah's beneficence to others, who removed what was false and manifested most luminously in his truth. He guided people who were but dead of soul, made them civilized and took them to the lofty stages of spiritual discernment. Their drunken nights were transformed into nights of worship of God and their drunken mornings were transformed into the morning prayer Asbi and Istighfar, seeking forgiveness of Allah. In the current age, we have witnessed the manifestation of the holiness of the promised Messiah on whom be peace. Today, we stand witness to the true reflection of the Qaddus God on earth in the divine system of Khilafati Ahmadiyya fortunate are those who recognize it and benefit from its spiritual power a new station
2: the voice of islam with live discussions religion and culture understand the true teachings of islam with the voice of islam
6: peace and welcome back to the voice of islam here at breakfast show um so just before the break we would. So it's bringing our first segment to an end, whereby we will talk about how um, we can sort of eradicate world hunger. But it's time now that we move on to our second segment, which will be about the inequalities in the UK's maternity care. And so, based on the research conducted by childbirth charity Birth Rights, um, recurring racism inside the UK maternity care is endangering the security of those persons from black, Asian, and mixed ethnicity backgrounds, and this leads to upsetting outturns. There have been reports of over 300 people who have encountered racial mistreatment in the maternity area, which gave insight to a panel chaired by Shaheen Rahman QC, a barrister who specializes in clinical negligence as part of the charity's year-long inquiry into the issue. Remand said black women in the UK are four times more likely to die in pregnancy and childbirth than white women. Asian and mixed raised women are twice as likely. This glaring inequality prompted Birthrights to examine how race discrimination impacts upon maternity care. Now, many people have reported feeling unsafe in their depositions given in writing, in interviews, and focus groups, and a certain percentage shared. They did not feel safe at all. Women's feelings were often neglected, and when they would raise concerns about their health, they would be shunned. It seems as if the impact on racist stereotypes was heavily affecting their well-being. Now, the most alarming testimonies mentioned how critical medical conditions women were experiencing. Uh, those conditions were all overlooked due to their skin colour. Unfortunately, the person's expressed emotions, such as being considered dehumanized and being looked down to and threatened, according to their report. So, it's a very shameful form what we have just read. And um, hopefully, we can uh, um, go through this topic with the assistance of various guest quarters.
1: Excellent. And uh, yes, we are joined by uh, our first guest, who is Marlo- Mars Lord. Um, Mars is a certified coach and birth activist. She's the leading voice in black maternal health and cultural competency and multi award winning doula mentor and educator. Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace and blessings be with you. Thank you for joining us.
13: Oh, you're welcome. Good morning to you
1: all. Good morning, Mars. So uh, tell us about Birthing in Colour.
13: So, Birthing in Colour is an online antenatal space. We didn't start as an online antenatal space, but um, when the pandemic hit us the following year, we immediately went online. And it's a safe space for black and brown bodied women to talk about all things um, perinatal, conception, pregnancy, labour birth, and the postnatal, postpartum period.
1: Right. And- Mm-hmm. So so, what inspired you to to set up Birthing in Colour?
13: So having worked in the world of birth for a fair number of years, almost two decades now, um, I was talking with my friend Tando Svane, who's also a doula, and another friend, Kayla, and we talked about the fact that the landscape of birth is very white, normal, neutral, everything is white. And we knew that black and brown-bodied women weren't being fully listened to and supported. So we decided that we would set up birthing in Colour to give them a space where they could talk openly and honestly without fear of um, anything. The number of referrals to other agencies are much higher in our community simply because we ask the same questions that our white-bodied counterparts do, but we're not expected to and we're pathological pathologised and seen as um, dangerous in so many ways. So we wanted a space where women could just be open, honest and talk, ask the questions that they wanted and be pointed in the right direction for good support.
6: And Mars, reports into maternal death rates have confirmed that being black or Asian, um, you know, uh, carries more of a risk. You know Why is this?
13: Well, commonly, what people say is that it's our black or brown bodies that makes us at risk. But um, the EMBRACE report, which is um, the report that spurred the birthright a report, the um, EMBRACE report comes out every few years, um, states that black and brown-bodied women are dying for the exact same reasons as their white counterparts but they're dying at higher rates. And the reason they're dying at higher rates is systemic racism. And that's what the birthrights report is called, systemic racism, not broken bodies. But if you were to listen to people, they would say, well, black and brown-bodied people have higher rates of this, higher rates of that, Mm. higher rates of the other. But what we see and what we continue to see is that black and brown-bodied people aren't listened to you fathers, um, particularly black fathers, get accused of aggression if they question something that's going on or simply show the birth plan to a midwife. Black women are considered to have higher pain tolerance. So when they're requesting pain relief, they get accused of just making a fuss. Brown bodied women are often called Asian princesses who are just making a fuss. And these are the stories that we're hearing from women, and from whether they are um, middle-class women or lower-class women, just by dint of having black or brown skin. But the narrative says that it's our bodies that are broken. And if that were true, then I think you'd find we wouldn't be the global majority.
5: And,
6: Margie you with us? I'm still with you, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, you know, birthrights in- inquiry into racism uh, in maternity care found that feeling unsafe was, you know, the most common theme for black, Asian and ethnic minority women. Yeah. Um, you know, what needs um, to be done to tackle this and improve the experiences of the, the whole maternity?
13: Well, very simply, they need to listen when black and brown-bodied women are speaking and talking, and they need to listen and hear them. Not listen to immediately run into action, but to, to take the time to hear what they're saying and to believe them. In America, there's a wonderful midwife, Jenny Joseph, NHS trained that you've been in uh, Florida for the last 40 years, and her rates of morbidity which is near misses and mortality but doesn't think she said any mortalities and her near misses are negligible and she does a very simple thing she listens she listens to the the women that come in to utilize her service and if we were to do more of that listening if we were to look at our medical curricula and say we need to uh change this up. We need to not make the white body the norm and the default. We need to be able to recognise symptoms within black and brown skins. We need to hear what the women are telling us rather than accusing them of just being silly and dramatic. If we were to listen, the rate would fall dramatically. Because believe you me, if white-bodied women were dying at these rates 4.35 times more likely than their black counterparts, it would be an absolute outcry. And we saw that just recently with the Sarah Ockenden report that talks about two, oh, one health trust, but two together, where um, white women were dying at, and their babies were dying at alarming rates. A report was commissioned, government started to step in and started to talk about it. And that's what we need to have happen, but mostly, we need the people on the ground—the doctors, the midwives, the healthcare professionals—to actually listen and hear.
6: And can you tell us about your monthly sessions um, and what they involve? And can anyone access them?
13: So, if you are black and brown bodies, you're black and brown-bodied women, then you can absolutely um, access them. We talk about a range of subjects, as I said, that go from conception right through to. Um, in fact fertility as well going right through to the postnatal the postpartum time we meet it for two hours the third Thursday of every month and we just talk about the topic at hand. we might talk about birth partners we might talk about pain management we might talk about early days with your baby breastfeeding, infant feeding we might talk about pregnancy nutrition so we have a range of subjects right through, and it changes each month.
6: Fantastic. Well, Mars Lord, thank you so much for being with us this morning and taking the time out to speak to us, and uh, we hope to speak with you in the very near future.
13: I hope so too. Have a great morning. You, you too. too thank me? you
6: so much, Mars. That was uh, Mars Lord um, from Birthing Color, who is a certified life coach and birth activist. And so it's. Um, you know, brilliant that we can have these guest callers with us um that help us navigate through these segments but um we'll go for a short break now and after the break we'll continue with this uh, part of the program and uh so stay tuned <laughs>
2: listening to The Voice of Islam
5: Radio. It was for me that God caused the solar and lunar eclipses in heaven during the month of Ramadan, and caused numerous other signs to be manifested on earth, and thus, in accordance with divine practice, my truth was conclusively established. God, in whose hand rests my life, is my witness, that if you cleanse your hearts and seek other signs from God, the Omnipotent One is capable of showing a sign according to His own will and power, without being subject to any of your importunities. And I am sure that if you demand a sign from me, with a genuine desire to repent, and promise earnestly before God, that if an extraordinary sign appears which is beyond human power, you will shed all this rancour and enmity, and purely for the sake of winning God's pleasure, will enter into the pledge of Ba'at with me, then God, being so kind and merciful, will certainly show you some sign. However, it is not within my power to fix a period of two or three days for showing a sign, or to do exactly as you wish. It is the prerogative of God to choose the time.
2: You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the Internet twenty four hours a day.
1: Welcome back to the breakfast show uh, you're listening to Daniel Zain, and Imam Shazeb other this morning um, or rather in the second half we're talking about inequality in UK's maternity care and earlier on we're talking to Mars Lord uh, from birthing in color let's go now uh, go to uh, Tanuq from five X more um, tanuk is a mother mother of two children aged four and two she co-founded 5x more with her colleague Chloe Abbey with the hopes of highlighting the disparities within maternal health and to make change. She runs the social platform, Mums & Tea, aimed at connecting black mums together. assalamu Alaikum, peace with you. Thank you for joining us.
14: Hi, thank you so much for having me today.
1: Excellent. Lovely to talk to you, uh, Tanook. So, um, tell us about... Oh, excellent! We can we can, we can hear. Uh, uh, probably that's your. Is that your four-year-old or the two-year-old? It's
14: my two-year-old. It's the two-year-old. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, she she's certainly up um, early in the morning and, and keeping mom busy, and and we appreciate the mom multitasking as well. So thank you very much once again for joining us. So yeah, tell, us about, tell us about tell us about Five X More.
14: So Five X was built. Um, basically, I had a really bad experience giving birth to my son. Mm-hmm. this was in 2017 and because I run mums and Tea and I was listening to other black mums who were equally having really bad traumatic experiences mm. um I just felt like there was something that was a little bit wrong um and so when the statistics came out in 2007 2018 sorry um that black women were five times more likely to die i I was shocked but I wasn't entirely surprised because of everything that i was hearing you know the negative experiences of women um so what i decided to do was join forces with my friend and um, we mentioned her before in the intro hello she mm-hmm. runs prosperities and that is um a social enterprise supporting maternal well-being um for black and south asian mothers and i said would you like would you like to um would you like to create something? Mm-hmm. Let's shout and scream about this awful statistic right. that is affecting um, us as black women. And that's how Five Times More came about. Uh, we initially wanted it to be, you know, just one event or something on social media. Um, but <laughs> I think for us, it's really grown over the last couple of years. And what we've been able to do is, um, in such a short amount of time is, is, is phenomenal, really. The first, one of those first things was our petition went viral in 2020. So we had a petition to improve um, black maternal outcomes for um, women in the UK. And it gained over 187,000 signatures in one week. Wow. And from then, you know, it was... Black maternal health was debated in Parliament for the first time ever in its history, even though this is something that has been going on for decades. And since then, you know, what we do is we try to work in three different ways. We train health professionals um, on the disparities and the statistics, because once you create that awareness, you can start to make changes. Mm. We lobby the government, so we have our Black Maternal Health All-Party Parliamentary Group, um, which was launched last year. And the final thing we do, and the most important thing for us, is that we offer free resources for um, women via our website so that they can feel confident to advocate for themselves um, and have agency to speak to health professionals if they're ever in compromising um, positions.
1: Right. So, would you say that the underlying issue here is uh, racism in maternity care?
14: Um, I think that that plays a role, but it's not the only thing that we mm-hmm. see. There are so it, it's multifactual. There are so many different things at play here. Um, so, if you look at also, you know, the history of medicine, the history of black women in medicine. Um, if you look at the Eurocentric nature of the medical curriculum, you know, cert, um, certain conditions um, and what they look like in black and brown skin, it's not actually taught to doctors when they're training so when they you know when they're in hospital they can't see what things look like I'll give you an example even outside of maternity my son a few months ago his nursery had hand foot and mouth outbreak and I looked on the NHS website lo and behold I saw no images of what hand foot and mouth looks like on black children right so there's so many different things here honestly there really are
1: Okay, so uh, you are obviously uh, trying to help. What uh, support in general is now available for Black or other ethnic minority women who've had to go through horrific experiences in the past?
14: Yeah, so we have, um, like I said, we offer some resources of our own. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have the free and um, birthing that we have joined forces with the Positive Birth Company, um, and. Every month, a hundred black women get access to this hypnobirthing course. And for me, it was a game changer. So, you know, I've said I have two children. The first time it wasn't so great. The second time it was perfect. And I would definitely put it down to, you know, being more confident in myself and knowing more about the, the whole experience and what to expect and how to advocate for myself. And part of that was because I did the hypnobirthing course. So when, um you know, after I had my child, I said I wanted more black women to experience this because they see the word hypnobirthing, and they think, oh no, what's, what's all that, you know, what's all that, I don't understand the word. It's a bit funny. They think they're going to be hypnotized, but it's more than that. It teaches you your breathing techniques. It teaches you so many different things. Um, we have different various partnerships with um, Tommy's um, and they've actually recently um, got a release, a, um, a free support line. Mm-hmm. So they have free online calls with Tommy's midwives that can help to support you during your pregnancy journey. So that's something that has recently been launched as well. Um, and as I said, there are so many different... Um, things on our website that teaches you, you know, when to call the midwife, um, if you have a pregnancy Um, so so many different aspects of pregnancy there that we cover um on our website. So we definitely encourage anybody who is pregnant to not be worried, to not be scared. Hmm. Um actually giving birth in the UK. And dying whilst, you know, um, so it's pregnancy, childbirth, and the six week period after. It's actually very rare. What we campaign for, and and the UK is, you know, one of the safest places to give birth. What we campaign for is that disparity in who is dying. So actually, overall, it is a very safe place to give birth. But we want to make sure that women do feel supported, um, you know, in that process. So that's why we have all of these resources there.
1: Amazing. You do have a lovely website, um, Tanug. Uh, wish you all the best. Thank you so, so very much for joining us again um, early in the morning and uh, with two uh, young uh, you know, toddlers uh, running around. Uh, again, appreciate uh, your input and, and thank you once again for joining us.
14: Thank you so much for having me. Enjoy your day.
1: And you have a lovely day. So that was uh, Tanug from Five Times More. Uh, do check out their website. Uh, they do have a lot of resources there. People who might be looking for some help there. Right, we're coming towards the end of um, uh, the show, end of this segment as well. Uh, Imam Shazeb, if I can turn to you to um, to give us a little bit of uh, the Islamic perspective on this subject.
6: Certainly, um, you know, we find various passages, various verses from within the Quran, which you know supports the the role that, you know, um, both man and the woman have, um, and indeed, you know, the fact that we shouldn't you know, judge and independent based on their pigment of their skin. Um, for example, chapter 49, verse 15 states, and I quote, "So mankind, we have created you from a male and a female, and we have made you into tribes and sub-tribes that you may know one another. And so this verse from the Holy Quran it teaches us that Allah the Almighty has made us all equal in, in his eyes, but provided us with varying nations and races to allow us to know each other and to also allow us to benefit from our different uh, character, uh, characters. And thus, through recognition of one another, we progress as a human race. And the, the worth of a man, you know, Islam... Promoted this teaching is that the worth of a man is not to be judged by the pigment of our skin and the amount of wealth you know that we may possess, or by you know our rank or social status, but it's the moral greatness and the way in which you know um, one discharges their obligations to God and man, and so the, the whole human race is essentially one big family. Handed. there are divisions um, which are made um, you know, in terms of tribes, nations, races, so that's um, from what we find from the Holy Quran is there for us to better our knowledge of one another so that we collectively uh, benefit from one another's national um, qualities and, um, and attributes. And according to Islam this is the greatest sort of aspect and the real uh, criterion that we should have. From society, the founder of our sect within Islam stated, and I quote, Treat all the creation of God with such deep love as though they are your close family members. Treat mankind in the same way that a mother treats her child. This is the way you should be, and not that you help someone only so that you can attain benefit later or take a favour in return states and i quote it again a desire desires to make all of mankind as if they were one person this could also be a democratic singularity under this concept the diversity of mankind could be considered as one individual the purpose of religion is also that human race be united in the form of the beads of the spear rosary through one thread and you know, it it is a shame that you know in this current era that we do live in. You know, these stereotypes, um, the discrimination, you know, especially within the health sector, are uh, you know very much um, alarming, especially through the situation that the mother is going through. Um, you know, it's it's very sad to say the least, and it's brilliant that we have these um, individuals that are actually going out of their way making these organisations. Um, and supporting um, to make sure that you know equality is you know present within the realms of the maternity care. You know the Islamic perspective has always been to making sure that you know, this whole element of promoting one colour over the other is absolutely eradicated, and we find this from various. Verses and various, you know, um, sayings of the Holy Prophet of Islam. His his own character was such whereby he used to state and has stated that you know a, a black man or indeed a white man is no superior to you a know, black and neither a black over a white. Uh, you know, Arab is not superior to non-Arab, and so there's elements of um, equality has been present from day one within the realm of Islam within the Religion of Islam, and it's you know matter of it being acknowledged and implemented wherever it may be, whether it's on, you know in the realm of sports, um, you know in our you know schools in our education, and if it's you know the current situation which we're talking about in our health care. So it's you know fundamental that we do ensure you know if anything from Islamic point of view that our teachings are. Um, at the forefront of you know what we do.
1: Excellent. And that brings us to the uh, end of today's show. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the show, the topics that we we discussed were rise in world hunger, what are the causes and impact and solutions, and then we talked about the inequality in UK's maternity care sector and. Um, uh, how ethnicity and racism um, uh, has played a role in the past and what is being done to tackle that so please do go to soundcloud and listen to the recordings if you haven't had the chance to listen to this show um, both myself and imam athab shall be back uh, next week next uh, next week on monday with another round of um, topics um, I must thank our producers before we, um, for, before we go away. The, um, our producer, Sahir Ahmed, as well as our researchers, Amber Kamal, Aisha Bushra-Budin, Faiza Mansour, and Maynard uh, Excellent help from Mr. Thay Ahmed in the tech room. And to you for joining us um, live for this um, edition of The Breakfast Show. Until next time, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you.
0: Oh,
2: To the Voice of Islam Radio.
3: We find anxiety and turmoil continue to spread and increase in the world. We find so much strife, restlessness, and disorder. We find countries engaged in wars. Terrorist groups, political parties, major powers of the world, all consumed by their efforts to maintain or acquire supremacy and leaving no stone unturned in their efforts towards pursuing their objectives. With all these hostilities engulfing the entire world, we also find a grand solution. We find a serene voice, a voice of reasoning and logic, travelling across the world. warning that if these actions continue then most surely the entire planet will succumb to a detrimental end with the rapid decline of international relationship the chances of the entire globe once again engaged in war is increasing daily this time wars will be fought with such weaponry that will leave widespread devastating effects
4: if a person is shot by a bullet then it is sometimes possible for him to survive medical treatment but if a nuclear war breaks out then those who are in the firing line will have no such luck the weapons available today are so destructive that they could lead to generation after generation of children being born with severe genetic or physical defects thus if the major powers do not act with justice and do not eliminate the frustrations of smaller nations and do not adopt great and wise policies, then the situation will spiral out of all control and the destruction that will follow is beyond our comprehension and imagination. Even the majority of the world who does desire peace will also become engulfed by this devastation. This is
3: the dreadful reality. By adopting aggressive policies and utilizing force, the world will be compelled to think of radical solutions,
4: the most radicalized being war. Recently, a very senior Russian military commander issued a serious warning about the potential risks, risk of a, a nuclear war. It was his view that such a war would not be fought in Asia or elsewhere but would be fought on Europe's border and that the threat might originate and ignite from Eastern European countries. Though some people will say that this was simply his personal opinion, I myself do not believe his views to be improbable. But in addition, I also believe that if such a war breaks out, then it is highly likely that Asian countries will also become involved."
3: Have these words of the Khalifa not been proven to be true to the letter? The crisis between Russia and Ukraine have brought back memories of the Cold War. With nearly 100 member states of the United Nations failing to recognize the control of Crimea by the Russian Federation, is that not a repeat of the past? When the Arab Spring first came to pass, many people in the world considered it to be a great means for the Arab world to come out of the Dark Ages and embrace modern times. The reality was quite the contrary. Is the world going towards this devastation? hundreds of thousands of innocent lives have been lost, especially in the Middle East. How many more will it take for mankind to take note of the Khalifa's message?
4: There's an urgent need to end all kinds of hatred and to lay the foundations of peace. This can only be done by respecting all kinds of sentiments of each other. If this is not done properly, Honestly, and with virtue, it will escalate into uncontrollable circumstances. So what is our
3: responsibility? Most surely to listen to and spread the words of the Khalifa and put them into practice. Save the world from the pit of doom that it is so closely standing upon. The all-knowing. The one who comprehends fully the knowledge of everything, whether
12: manifest or hidden. Do they not know that Allah knows what they keep secret and what they make known?